Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome back to the Level of Latina podcast. Today we have Charlene Willis as our guest. Charlene is a renowned communications expert, author, and speaker with more than three decades of experience in corporate communications. As a C-suite executive and communicator for more than 20 years, Charlene has lived the experience of being a Black female at large global organizations. The accumulation of her skills and experiences has positioned her as a cornerstone in ensuring exclusivity and diversity in corporate environments. Her experiences both in the boardroom and in life combined with recent discussions, have led her to share her insights on cultural competency. We are excited to have you, Charlene, and to learn more about your line of work. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be with you all. This is a very, very important conversation. We are just honored that you would spend part of your day with us. But before we get into it and all of that, tell us more about how you grew up, your background, where you're born, anything you want to tell us about your background. Oh, sure. So I am originally from California. Uh, I was born in Oakland, California. Um, yes, good old Oakland. Not We're the excited. <laughs> yeah. We, try, we tried South. to stay on mute. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, um, I guess my mother, my parents were married, but my mother divorced my father at when I was about seven. And so um, after that, I was pretty much raised by a single mother who was uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, she often worked two jobs so that um, so that I could have the life that she thought I should have. Um, so I learned a lot from from her and uh, just from her example. Um, unfortunately, she passed away, um, gosh, 28 years ago. So she died quite young. And uh, I take my role to be her living legacy quite seriously. And uh, let's see, I'm the first one in my family to uh, go to college uh, and get a degree. It's um, a couple of degrees, I guess. It, it wasn't easy, but it was definitely, um, definitely worth it. Uh, and just, you know, I um, see myself as the kind of person who, who just wants to do a good job, excel, but really shake things up in the process, you know, shake up the status quo. And uh, I see myself more as a transformer than I do um, someone who just keeps the wheels running. I guess that's kind of how I describe myself. I love all of that. Everything. I was over here cheering. You can't see us, yeah. obviously, listening, but we have our hands in the air. We're like, yay, Oakland. Yay, single mamas. We love our single mamas over yeah. there. Yay, everything. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for sharing yeah. your background and the fact that you are transforming lives. That's incredible. What led you to communications? Tell us about that. Um, you know, it was um, it was love at first sight. I, uh, I had gone to college and thought that I would be a teacher. Um, which I think is a obviously a very noble profession. But, you know, there's this saying that, you know, um, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And for me, um, looking at role models, the only role models I saw of professions, uh, professionals were teachers and, um, and not that many black teachers, actually. Um, so I went to, uh, when I started college, my first semester, I said, okay, I'm going to be an education major. And uh, I ran into a friend and, uh, from high school and he said, hey, what are you majoring in? And I said, well, I'm majoring in, uh, in education. And he goes, huh? He says, you know, Charlene, he says, I know you don't come from much, but you just look like somebody who's going to conquer the world. And I just don't think you're going to be able to do that as a teacher. And I thought, well, that was a weird thing to say. So um, the next semester, you know, I continued with my courses, but I uh, enrolled in a journalism class. And after that semester in uh, journalism, I knew exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I just never looked back. I love the messages. Our audience, primarily, and the three of us, it's first generation. And everything that you oh, experienced being the first in your family to go to college. And just what you said, if you can't see it, you can't believe it. And then right. what we're trying to do is change that perspective, change our mindsets. And you had to have that one person, right, implant that seed. Yeah, you know, I've been so fortunate uh, in my life to have people 
come through my life for um, sometimes short periods of time and sometimes very long periods of time. Uh, and a friend that I'm thinking of, um, yeah, I've been a cheerleader most of my life, and we can get into that at, at some point. But uh, when I was in high school, uh, we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My mother loved to move around. And, um, and so I went to high school in Albuquerque, and my senior year, uh, someone that I met named Billy, who was originally from New Mexico, but was a, a, a cheerleader at Texas Tech University. And so um, somehow he and I became friends. And he told me when I started my freshman year in college, uh, that summer we were talking and he said, Charlene, he says, you're too big for New Mexico. There's a really big world out there for you. And you need to go see how much there is out there and what you can do. And, you know, he's one person, his name is Billy Smith, and we're still friends to this day, but he changed the trajectory of my life when I was younger um, because I just wasn't thinking big and he saw something that I couldn't see. And he encouraged me to um, transfer to Texas Tech, go Raiders. Uh, and um, and just be brave and explore the world. And when I graduated from college, I moved from you know Albuquerque, New Mexico, where my mother was, to um, Washington D.C. All by myself, well, me and my dog. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Thank you, Billy Smith. We all need one in our lives, hopefully at different points in our lives. I was also a cheerleader, and I feel like I've yeah. been one my whole life. But that's not to say that who you know who encourages the encourager. Sometimes right. we're the pumped up one, we're the excited one, we're right. the high woman, the influencer. And then you're the one that's kind of maybe not seeing it for yourself. And you need other people mm -hmm. to give you that perspective. So way to go for you. And DC is a fabulous place. And you're probably too big for DC, but can we send you to Mars? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we don't know. I think this is how it works here, right? We're on this right. Right. So, yeah, One day, one day. With mm -hmm. all that, you know, we were reading your bio. And then I say in the bio, as a C-suite executive and communicator, uh, we were reading that earlier and we thought, does everybody know what that means? Do you get to college and think, you know what? I want to major in whatever makes me a C-suite executive. You know, I don't think so. Right. So tell us about that, please. Sure, sure. So um, really, being a C-suite executive is a lot of what it sounds like. It means that you have reached that executive level in the company that typically there's only one of your position, right? And interestingly enough, it's it. they always start with C's. So it's your chief communications officer, it's your CEO, it's your chief financial officer, your chief human resources officer. And so um, somewhere along the line, it all just got sorted and, and shortened to, are you a C-suite executive? Right, or are you a senior executive? And a C-suite obviously means that you're part of the decision making. You you know what's going on, uh, and you're um, really at at the top, at the height of your of your career. That's absolutely right, and I think that it's important to understand that because for a lot of people, it's hard to envision that you w would be good as the leader, as the decision maker as a director. And you sometimes go around in this roundabout way, but it's okay to be the one where there's a lot of responsibility, but a lot of expertise and a journey that you're well suited for. And that's why you're the chief financial officer, the chief operations officer. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Uh, my last question for you, and then my partners will take over is, uh, you know, tell us more about your company. So Charlene Willis, LLC, tell us about it, why you started it, what it's about. Sure, sure. So one question people ask me all the time is, why did I name the company after after myself? <laughs> and I actually did it. Cheer later. Right, exactly, right? I wanted everybody to be able to remember it. But the other thing, too, is I wanted enough room to be able to morph, right? Am I, am I an author? Am I a speaker? Am I trailblazing? You know, what, what is it? Am I consulting? So I wanted something that was broad. But I started my company. Um, let's see, I left the corporate world after 33 years in, uh, at the beginning of this year. And uh, I wrote a book, which I know we'll talk about. And then I decided to start a communications consulting firm, an advisory firm, um, mainly advising uh, CEOs and other leaders on business challenges, issues, challenges, and, and communications. 
And uh, when I finished writing the book, I said, hey, I think I'll start my business in September. And, and I finished the book, writing the book in March. And uh, then in May, George Floyd was murdered. And that changed everything. And so all of a sudden, people were uh, called, leaders were calling me initially saying, what should I do? What should I do about, you know, messages, et cetera. And, um, and I got enough calls that I said, okay, I need to start my business now. And, uh, and then within a couple of weeks, I started getting different calls, which were around um, some of it communication, but a lot of it around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And a lot of um, questions or requests that I received is, was from CEOs and business leaders asking me if, if I could help them develop their or strengthen their DEI programs or their plans. And uh, my answer was always no, I can't. And they'd say, wait, I'm sorry, what do you mean? I said, well, here's the thing what George Floyd and everything else is showing us is that. It's not about DE and I, it's about systemic racism and structural bias. I said, so if you want to talk about racism in the workplace and you want to talk about how we can root that out, then we can have a conversation and, uh, you know, and you can employ me on your, on your team as a consultant. Uh, and then I later joined, I still have my company, but I also joined another company, advisor company called APGO Worldwide, where I serve as their senior advisor for racial justice. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, in, this, in, in answering Irene's last question, you kind of just brought down, there was a few little things that came in there. Mm -hmm. You had a plan of when you wanted to get things done. And plans mm -hmm. sometimes don't go to, you know, don't go the way you expect them. You had to jumpstart your business sooner than you expected. You also realized that you, the only way to impact and consult was to really get to the root of an issue, not the outside of it, like what's really causing it. And it gave you that purpose. So not only did you already have the passion mm -hmm. to address um, you know, things that people weren't ready to address. Right. So it gave you that drive. I mean, in 2020 was that, it was like that punch in the gut of, of the universe, you know, what the, the uh, earth that it needed. And it, it has brought upon like the conversations that people were too uncomfortable to have. Mm -hmm. And hearing your background and hearing your story, like you went from Oakland to Albuquerque to <laughs> Texas to DC, girl, you've been across the nation, you know, like you worked your way to the East Coast. It was like manifest destiny the other way around, you know, right. Like, right. from West to East. So with that, I mean, obviously that helped you gain a lot of experience just as a woman, a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And it brought upon even more of a passion for like, let's really address the root of, of the problem. So being that um, as you have the experience of being a C-suite level executive, so what do you recommend? What and how do you recommend um, that management uh, introduces and addresses these um, racist or anti-racist conversations in the workplace? Like, how do they address it? Because I'm sure they find themselves like, what in the world do we do? Right, right. And, you know, and I tell um, leaders, the worst thing you can do is nothing, right? Is just, you know, go, go back to almost business as usual and behave as though nothing has happened because this moment is very different than other movements that we've seen and other times that we've seen demonstrations and protests. And so my advice is lead as a person first, as a human first, lead with empathy and compassion, and then as a CEO second. Because we're in a time where people need to see and feel your humanity, your empathy, and your compassion, and just start the conversation, you know, and, and, you know, people, you know, they'll always say, well, I don't know, I'm, uh, I don't know if I want to start this conversation, because I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. And I say, look, here's the thing. You're a middle-aged white guy. You're going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're if, if you have the right intention, uh, right now in the mo the moment that we're in, people will forgive that. 
right? Because they will appreciate the fact that you want that you want to learn more about the issue and that you care. So, you know, call your leadership team together, uh, call, you know, uh, large groups of employees together and, um, and have them share their experiences. You know, and I do a, a session with companies called the Black Lived Experience. And it's really um, for those companies that need to start having the conversation, but they're, they don't know how or they're uncomfortable doing it. And, uh, and so usually, of course, they're all taking place over Zoom or something like that this, this year. Um, and I'll get the you know, groups of employees together and I'll say, okay, let's talk about the Black lived experience. Let me tell you what it's like growing up being a Black girl in America and in corporate America and trying to find your way. And usually what happens is once I open up, uh, then other people who are on the Zoom will open up as well. And uh, and then you get a, a really great conversation going. And I just encourage the companies and the leaders, you know, have your councils, et cetera, but, but keep the conversation going, keep the learning going, and listen more than you talk, right? I, I think that with that, like you, you're you're absolutely right. When we think of work, we always think of like, there's my personal aspect mm -hmm. of me and the professional aspect of me. And the professional aspect of me has to follow these guidelines. And my professional uh, persona cannot be vulnerable, cannot talk about these taboo topics with my team. Mm -hmm. But at this point, um, race is should not be, or racism should not be a taboo topic. It's one of those things where it's like, it needs to be addressed. We are, we're trying to progress. We're, we're moving forward and it's, you have to be vulnerable. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that you said to, until you opened up, it allows other people to kind of share their experience right. because I'm, I can, I can just imagine like being a person of color in, in this zoom call with your company and trying to express what you feel without feeling like, oh, we didn't know we did that to you, or we didn't know you felt that here. We thought we were open, had a, the open door policy, and you can be who you are, and all this stuff. So vulnerability in the workplace right now is definitely key to get these conversations going, like you mentioned. Yeah, and you have to have vulnerability in the workplace right now because people are vulnerable. You know, mm -hmm. people are hurting. If I can interject, I think so too. Yeah. It, it helps with the trust piece and the, mm -hmm. the, the component of trust. Like I'm the CEO of my nonprofit. And mm -hmm. up until that point, if I suddenly had nothing to say, I'm counting on you, you're counting on me, we're getting along, we're a team, we do things well. And then this huge thing happens in our society that impacts every single one of us, however it may impact us. And then we have nothing to say. Like, do you really trust me tomorrow? Do we really have an authentic connection? If we just went on and then we serve children, we serve students. This is impacting right. them profoundly, their parents <laughs> profoundly. We're just going to be so professional that we don't talk about it. The boundaries, everything. I think my team would have looked at me and thought, you're crazy lady. Like we are discussing this and we right. are discussing this as long as we need to. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a lot of conversations with people or I should say several conversations with people saying, look, your, your black employees can't just hop on, you know, your staff meeting call or your zoom call and pretend like nothing has happened. Right. You, you, we have this, you know, I called it kind of the tridemic at one point because we had, you know, the pandemic, we had the economic fallout, and then we had the racial justice, right? So we had three things going. And for um, black and brown people, especially, the likelihood of us not being affected in some way by at least one, if not all three of those things, right? Um, was really high. The, and so, you know, people had that anxiety and you couldn't just say, okay, show up on Zoom and give me, you know, that great presentation when I'm worried about my uncle who might be dying, right? It's, um, so I think that the workplace just kind of demands the, the vulnerability of its leadership. Which kind of segues into our next question where it says, why does diversity, equity, and inclusion matter in the workplace? Like you mentioned, not only that, but the conversation of systemic racism, you mm -hmm. know, injustice. Why is it so important to have it? And then what is that impact beyond? Right, right. So I'm having an interesting war within, my, you know, in my head with myself, 
because I have been a DEI advocate, you know, since I started my career. And recently, this summer, because of everything that's going on and other experiences that I've had in talking with companies, you know, I've come to think that, you know, if DEI programs worked, we wouldn't even need to be having a conversation about diversity, right? So that means we have to back up and we have to look at the systemic issues and we have to look at the, the race issues, right? The, the racism. And I remind people that um, leaders that, you know, the system works exactly as it was intended, right? It was intended to disenfranchise and marginalize groups of people. And we have to, we have to recognize that on top of that, you know, the, you know, I can't remember what the exact year is, but, you know, white people are going to become the minority group, right? It's not that one other group's going to be the majority, but it's non-whites are going to become the majority, both in society and hopefully in the workplace. And if you don't have a diverse workplace, then how can you accurately serve the needs and understand the needs of your customers, right? You know, we think about, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a shopaholic. So I, I'll just take an example. If you think about some of the luxury brands over the last couple of years, you know, have come out with campaigns or um, ads that are so um, tone deaf, you know, and so blind. And, you know, sometimes I see these things and I just say to myself, do they not have any black people in their company? Yes, right. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there have been some very some well-known, well-established brands mm-hmm. that have made huge mistakes, right? Um, slip up public, and they've had to pull these things back because the public demanded it. And so that's that's a simple example. But you know, I think that if you have a leadership team that is all male and all white then you are making decisions for a population that doesn't exist anymore, right? Ooh. And, and those, pers- those perspectives and, um, and you need to be able to have the different conversations. That must be a difficult conversation to have with leadership teams. Like, hey, your, your room does not represent this this new demographic or this new population and this new group of people um how do you even start those conversations with with you know members of leadership teams to be like hey we need to we need to change it up a little bit we need to shake it up mm-hmm. you know <laughs> i think that that is um is my role and part of my purpose in in life quite frankly is to um say the unsaid and to be the, you know, the fearless person um, who will say something in the room that no one else will say. And, uh, you know, it's it's easier now because I'm not affiliated with a corporation, right? You always have to worry about, well, what is the corporation think, thinking about it? But, um, you know, I, I think that for me, I just feel strongly that it is it is part of my purpose in my life to change things and to to get people to see things that they may not see or that they don't see. And so even with my previous CEOs, I've just blurted it out. You know, they've said things and and I've said, well, how can you make that decision about this group of people when none of you fall into that category of those people? Right. And so what are we going to do about that? You know, and how are we going to make better decisions? You know, and I've, I've uh, one of my clients uh, who has a nearly all white um, staff, uh, a previous client um, has nearly an all white staff and um, they consider themselves somewhat diverse because they're one of those companies that hired a lot of Asian people because that's how everybody got around diversity for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, you need, you need black executives. And he says, well, well, how do I do that? You know, I, I, you know, I, I cast a wide net, we interview, we do this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, only interview black candidates, period. I said, if you've got two open um, executive positions, only interview black candidates for the position. You're going to get somebody qualified. 
And, um, and he said, well, yes, but my, my, my team is going to say, well, that's not fair. And I said, you know what? The last 400 years haven't been fair. So let's not, don't talk to me about fairness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Cause you're not going to get any love from me for, on that one. You know? <laughs> you're like, oh, that's cute. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> cute. But um, let's keep pushing. Let's keep it pushing. Yeah. Let's do what we're going to do. So then Charlene, what would be um, some of your tips for women of color, black and brown women to mm-hmm. become comfortable in having those conversations with, uh, let's say they are sitting in um, the C-suite levels in companies where there isn't any representation with uh, there is no diversity. Mm-hmm. How, what tips would you give these women to feel comfortable bringing things up like this and to also perform in that boardroom setting? Well, I, I would say first off, if the, if the women are there, it's because they're, um, they're bold they're probably somewhat fearless and they're certainly resilient, right? So, you know, they've learned a few things along the way. And, um, you know, and, and I, would, uh, I would counsel them to say, what is it that you want to, that you're trying to accomplish? And I don't mean just in the job, I mean in life. What is your purpose? What are you, what are you leaving behind? And I think women, and especially women of color, we have a responsibility to help others, right? So, uh, so say the thing that needs to be said, and not necessarily in service of you, but in service of the people who are going to stand on your shoulders to be able to um, to not have to experience the blatant bias and you know racism and sexism and all the other isms, right? You know, and as far as being in the boardroom, you know, women, especially women of color, you know, you are there because you deserve to be there. You've earned the right to be there. You are not there because you got lucky, right? Or because somebody decided to pluck you, you know, and say, here, come here, you know, pluck you out of obscurity. And so I always want women to understand, you know, one, let go of the imposter syndrome, right? You're in that room because you deserve to be in the room. And then make sure you bring your unique perspective to the conversation, right? Don't come in and say, well, I need to think like everybody else and give comments like everybody else. Your value is your different perspective, right? Your unique perspective. And so I just say, you know, girl, do you, <laughs> you know? Yes. 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 I'm, I'm shaking my head over here because that, that kind of like tr- uh, turns us into like the next topic which is like how how do we become culturally competent and like I know that us right as women of color we know how important it is to be competent and be able to like bring your authentic self to the workplace mm-hmm. um, I know for my, my own experience I've always been like the first one or like the the only Latina at my prior mm-hmm. uh, law firm and I always made it a point to you know bring in my culture when when I saw that it was appropriate like either with music or mm-hmm. cultural traditions but I I feel like I just knew inside like okay this is a proper setting for this like I can talk about this during this time at I don't know during lunchtime or even when we were getting ready for like some sort of holidays like I felt it was okay and it was embraced in my in my own firm because of the culture and whatnot but what would you say Charlene like how does one become you know or stay culturally competent in in the in the boardroom and even in in special occasions like happy hour yeah, you know, I'm a, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of authenticity. And so I think that you have to be authentically you um, at every moment of every day. And, you know, I know that's a bit different because at least when I was starting my career and, you know, many other women of my age, you know, we were told and taught to conform, right, to be the same as everybody else. And, um, you know, and, and I did that for a long time and, and it paid off, right? I ended up in the C-suite, but I, I also, I'm coming off of, um, off of an illness and um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 and I had a, um, 
my seven month treatment plan turned into a three year treatment plan. Um, although I had gone back to work after, um, after eight months or so. And when I went back to work, you know, I just had a different perspective. You know, I'd always had a voice, but I found a new voice and I just decided that, you know, I'm going to succeed by being authentically me. I'm not going to pretend to be anybody else. I'm not going to code switch. You know, if we're having, um, you know, if I'm telling people about we're having dinner and we're having filet mignon, I'm going to talk about that. And if we're having collard greens and mac and cheese, I'm going to talk about that too. Right. And so I, um, so I just really focus and try to get other people to focus on be your authentic self, because when you do that, the conversation, the experience becomes so rich, you know, and, um, you know, and for me, I think with cultural competency and just like, um, like you've said, you know, you're often the, the first or the only, right. Boy, do I know that only experience, right. And it's lonely. It's, you know, it's isolating and it's a whole lot of pressure because suddenly your performance speaks for the entire race, right? So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's an awful place to be. But I also know that, you know, having lived in California, having lived in, um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which had a, a large um, Hispanic population and, um, and then traveling in other places around the world, you know, with work, I've just learned that, you know, everybody has a story and when they bring that story with, they carry it with them anyway. So when they, they bring that story to you and to work and that experience, you just get richer for it. You know, it, it opens your mind you know, and it's just, so I'm just really a big proponent for authenticity and for succeeding by being your authentic self. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I I really, really like, it resonates with me. And thank you for sharing your journey with cancer. I know from, you know, experience with my own family, like how hard and daunting that experience can be. So thank you for, we appreciate you sharing that, that journey. Um, So I, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I think also there's times and I have, I've had this conversation with the girls and I've had this conversation with my own husband where sometimes mm-hmm. they, there's, you know, like you said, the white middle-aged males say, wanting to be mentors and wanting to partner up. But I feel, and you feel, you, you see it that a lot of, a lot of times it's for show, like right. here's our token person of color like and mm-hmm. show, showcasing you but when you're in the office they're not really putting the effort to making sure you're okay are you succeeding what do you mm-hmm. need from our end so how do we I, I guess when we're experiencing that how should we address that and how should we bring that up it's it's hard right but how how oh, it, how should we do that it's it's very hard and I tell you I um you know I pretty much built a career on being underestimated right? Because you're the one, you know, that only one in the office, you know, we've checked that box and we don't really have to pay attention to you anymore, right? Because now we've got all of our boxes checked. So it's like, okay, well, while you're not paying attention to me anymore, I'm going to go off and do some things and I'm going to conquer some things and I'm going to make a difference in my job. And you're going to look up and say, what the heck happened? Right. Yeah. And I have done that throughout my entire career. And and when I've had people um, do what I call kind of the performative um, performative mentoring. Right. Which is, you know, you're matched up with somebody. Who, they're they're an executive and you're not. You don't even know them. They don't know you. And, you know, they're like, well, I'm here to be your mentor. And my response was always, I don't need a mentor. I need a champion. So if you're going to be my champion, then let's have a conversation because you're the one who can advocate for me because you're in that room and in those conversations and I'm not right. So, so I don't think that you can um, expect companies to nurture you along the way because they pretty much don't do that, (laughs) you know, but I think that you can, um, you can carve that out for yourself 
And, uh, you know, I, I also, um, I talk to a lot of, of women of all, all ages and careers. And I, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, ask for what you want, you know, don't wait for somebody to give it to you. Because if you, if you take the old advice of go to work, put your head down, work really hard and someone's going to notice you and you're going to get promoted and great things are going to happen. Well, that is not how it works. Right. If you put your head down, it's going to be down for a good 20 years. Yes. Yeah. And so you do have to carve out your own space and not be afraid, afraid to do it. You know, and and I think I've always been a bit fearless, probably because of my upbringing, you know, and um, a lot of it for me is I I have this saying uh, that I remind myself of all the time. And it's it's um, seven seconds of courage. Right. And I think that you can change your life and change your world in se- with seven seconds of courage. I love that. And I, and I love what you said earlier about like, forget about the imposter syndrome. You do you go mm-hmm. forward, move forward. And I think also, like you said, our upbringing help helps us. And mm-hmm. I think it starts at home with our younger siblings, with our mm-hmm. children, start teaching them showing them like if they ask questions, answer them, don't, don't try to, you know, dig those under the rug. I know recently, or I mean, during this pandemic, I don't know, I I can't keep time anymore. When did it happen? But it was during this pandemic that um, my, my girls were coloring and they, one of them said like, Oh, pass me that color crayon. And it was like the peach color, I think. And they said like, Oh, what color or what color is that? And one of them said, it's in Spanish, like uh, color piel, skin mm-hmm. color. Give me that right. skin color. And so I heard it and I said, no, this isn't skin color. It's mm-hmm. peach color because we have to remember, girls, that skins come in all different colors. Like there's a right. whole spectrum. So I grabbed a book. They had a book about um, babies of the world. And so I showed, mm-hmm. the, showed it to them, like, look at these babies. All these babies come in all different shades. Mm-hmm. So to say this is skin color is not correct because this is clearly not skin color. It's a peach color, like fruit. So that's like, you know, like things Mm -hmm. like that. I feel like it's important to start at home. And I don't know if you you have any advice for how to have these conversations at home with when Mm -hmm. things like that come up. Yeah, I would, I would say um, some of the same things that you're saying and following your lead, which is, you know, it's, you know, it can be sometimes death by a thousand little cuts, right? And so you, I believe that you have to catch them in the, you have to catch those opportunities in the moment, whether that's at home talking to your kids, whether that's at work or whether that, you know, is in a social setting, you know, and someone says something that's kind of off color or that is really broad, right? And, you know, and you just have to say to the other person, why do you, why do you think that way? You know, what, what is, help me understand, you know, I, I never say to somebody, dude, you're twisted, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I always start with, you know, help me understand your point of view, right? Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's the same thing, like with all these companies are having, you know, unconscious bias training and microaggression training and all of that. And, you know, good for them. I'm so glad um, and, but the thing I think people should take away from, from those training sessions is how to stop things in their tracks when they happen and how to educate, you know, my, my girls, uh, I have two girls, they're um, 26 and 25 and um, my kids You're so are, young. no, no, really. And yeah, no. <laughs> Wow. Every day. I thought she was going to be like two and six. I wish I could say that because then everybody would think I was so much younger. <laughs> um, but, you know, our girls are, our girls are biracial. My husband is white and we have always taught them that we believe they are the future because they are living proof that races can come together and create something beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but we've also told them that the majority of the wor- world, even though they are light skinned, um, for the most part, they're much lighter than I am. Uh, the society is going to see you as black. Right. And you need to know what that means for you. 
right? And I tell them all the time, I was like, you know, when they were younger, um, I said, you know, you have your little white friends and, you know, you guys are off in this store, like shoplifting lipstick, you know? Yeah. I'm like, sweetheart, you're black. You're going to go to jail, yeah. right? She, she's going to get a fine and you're going to go to jail. So Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. Keep yeah. that wet and wild lipstick where it belongs. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. not to say that my kids were shoplifting. I just use that as an example. Yeah. She's but- going to say, that's not fair. You're going to be at 400 years, it is? Right, exactly. Yeah. No, it's not fair. Yeah. It's going to happen. You know, so I think you have to, you know, with them, I've had to be um, uh, really, we've had, we've had to be really truthful and really honest with them about some of the experiences that they were going to have. And um, earlier this year, uh, uh, it's on actually on my uh, website, uh, on my blog, I um, I wrote a three-part series on what the current racial movement looks like to a mixed-race family. And so I had each of my girls uh, write um, a blog about what it feels like to them. And then I also had my husband write a blog, you know, being a middle-aged white man, right, with this, you know, uh, uh, interracial family. And um, the pieces are just so interesting. If you ever have a moment to go um, to go take a look at them, yeah, for uh, sure. And I think they're also on my LinkedIn page. But the, it was it was really powerful, and I didn't edit out their I didn't edit their words at all. It was really from their perspective. It was it's enlightening. Well, thank you for sharing those. But yeah, we'll definitely check those out. They sound very real. I just want to share a couple things for our listeners that about um, some of the accolades on your end. Um, I know you were you were named by PR Week magazine one of the fifty most influential PR professionals in the industry for five consecutive years. I know you're also named a woman worth watching in Diversity magazine, and that's just that's just to name a few. But I know you're now. You wrote a book. The official release date is um, is May, although it's um, it's on Amazon now. But in January, you can go in and uh, and pre order um, from Amazon and other places. Can you tell us the title of the book and why? What motivated you to write it? Ah, uh, uh, so the book it's called "You Are Enough." Reclaiming Your Career and Your Life with Purpose, Passion, and Unapologetic Authenticity. I went through a cancer battle, um, had been, been diagnosed um, about four years, almost four years ago now. And uh, when I went through that experience and came out of it, you know, when you have, when you're diagnosed with a disease, you know, everybody is really focused on you and helping you, you know, with, you know, you're fighting for your life, right? That's what they tell you. And then when you come out of it, you're, you're done, right? But for me, I came out of it and I woke up and I didn't have the life that I used to have. I didn't recognize that life. And I didn't even know if I wanted the life that I was in right? Because I didn't understand this new me either. And so I started looking around for resources of, you know, just other people talking authentically about this. And I couldn't find anything. So I um, started a blog where I just said, I'm just going to tell the truth about everything. And then I decided that um, because my cancer treatment was going on so long, and it was because I kept having weird complications, the um, which I think was were stress induced a lot of. So then I said, you know, I'm going to make a decision for me, and I'm leaving the corporate world. And then it, the idea to write a book, it just came to me. It wasn't like I think I'll write a book. It was I have to write a book because I have a lot to say about being a black female executive. I have a lot to say about um, cancer and that, you know, make no mistake, life after breast cancer sucks and we need to talk about that. And so that's covered in my book as well. And then I had this um, this lecture series uh, that I would give called um, Lessons from Being Invisible. And it's lessons and strategies for women 
Uh, and I wanted to share both those lessons and those strategies so that maybe people could learn from that and shortcut um, you know, their rise and their success because they know what to look for and, um, and how to handle it. And so that really is what, you know, my book is completely all about um, getting to the point to understand that you are enough. You don't have to twist yourself into anything that you're not to make somebody happy so that you can get that promotion or that you can get that raise, right? And going back to that imposter syndrome that, by the way, 80% of women in the workplace um, suffer from. Uh, and I just wanted people to know, you know, you are enough, you know, and in my book, the, um, I talk about how when I first started work, you know, and I put on my little suit and, you know, before I left my apartment, I would grab my invisible suit of armor, right? And it was the suit of armor I needed to protect me from all of the microaggressions and bias and everything that I was going to experience. And then later I traded in that suit of armor for a superhero cape because I was a working mother. And we all know if you're a working mother, you've got to be a superhero, right? Yeah. In order to get things done. And when um, when I came out of my um, my cancer funnel, as I call it, or my cancer fog, um, you know, I just I was depressed. You know, I um, quite frankly, you know. I wanted to die, just not from cancer, you know, and I thought I'm, I have to recreate and I have to recreate based on understanding two things that are just undisputable truths for me. And one is that I am a child of the most high God. I'm a very, I'm quite religious and two, I am enough. And then that's or what my, my book is to take you through that journey. I think that's our tip of the day. You are enough. Absolutely. You gave me the chills. You made my eyes water <laughs> in, in just in that. So, and I, I, so I have to ask you like, how are you doing like health wise and physically? Well, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm doing pretty well. I never leave my house. I know. I think I can count on, you know, on one hand, how many times I've, le I've left my house. So um, I ended up having, a, you know, I, I'm a big sharer. So, and since, you know, my whole cancer uh, journey is in the book, there's, there are no secrets about it, but um, I had nine surgeries in three years. Oh, wow. And so my last surgery was in January of this year. Wow. So um, for me, the fact that I haven't had surgery in 10 months is awesome. Oh, <laughs> it's man. Awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're so happy that you're here and well and healthy and that you shared a lot of great nuggets with us. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question that we love to ask our guests is, and the question is like, what advice would you give your 25 year old self? Uh, well, I think the first thing I would say is um, calm the hell down. You don't have to do everything in the first five yeah. years of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have your plan. You know, when, when people say, where do you see yourself in five years? It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I didn't see myself as a cancer survivor. So. Yeah. Yes. So, I, so it's two things I'd say. You want calm down. And the other, go, going back to, uh, to my book, is know that you are enough, no matter how many people try to make you feel differently. Just know it. You are enough. And then go out and conquer. Yes, yes, you are enough. We're enough. I, I love that. I love that. And we've enjoyed this conversation with you so much. I feel like we got we were really excited when when we knew we were going to have the opportunity to talk to you because w this was a conversation that was much, much needed. And 
during our podcast this past this past 2020, we did get you know we did get um, into the topic of racism, especially last summer. But I feel like you really like you know helped us navigate this even even further, and it's so so necessary. So um, tell us tell us where where people can find you. How can they you know how can they get your book eventually? Mm -hmm. And um, and how do people all find of, you? Tell us all of it. How yeah, do you all of it. Your website. Email. How do we? we what's, what's your home address? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to yeah. show up. Yeah, it, it has. It's been great talking to all of you as well. This is a great conversation, and so uh, I I have enjoyed it. The honor has been mine. Um, so you can find me on um, all of my social media channels. So LinkedIn as Charlene Wheelis. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, you know, that's, that's where we give, can give all of our positivity, right? So on Instagram, um, at Char Charlene Wheelis or at Char Wheelis, um, Facebook, same thing at Char Wheelis. And then, uh, my website, which is, uh, charlenewheelis.biz, B-I-Z. And so through all of those channels, you'll, you can find your way to, um, to my blog, to my book, to thoughts. You can send me messages. Um, I do answer them. Uh, so uh, I just, you know, I just feel like this is my role and my purpose to share a message. And I just want to share it with as many people as I can. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Ladies, do you guys want to share anything, ask anything else before we wrap up? More thank yous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you were over here giving me the chills too. I was already on your blog. You were still talking. I'm like, you just told her 25-year-old self to slow down. I didn't tell my 40-year-old self to slow down. <laughs> She's right here. But honestly, like, I was just like eating it all up because it is such beautiful advice. You have these two beautiful daughters that I already was stalking on your website. Like, <laughs> Thank you for being an example to all of us to just see it and believe it and be our true and authentic self. So just a lot of thank yous coming from this side. Thank yeah. yous. And I, I just feel like hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes right here for Charlene. Like yeah. you're legit, like your story. I'm going to, I'm going to order this book and I'm going to get it for everyone I know because I feel like as women, just as, 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 right. as women of color, like we just need to constantly remind ourselves we are enough. We can do right. it. We, we need to be who we are. And that, that part is a difficult challenge. It's a big challenge for us. And yeah, that's why I feel the seven seconds of courage, right? Yeah. You know, the seven seconds of courage get us in trouble yeah. sometimes, but <laughs> yes. That, that's the wrong kind of courage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. People take, sometimes your courage can, other people can take it differently, but you're just like, right. I need to say it. I just need to say it, but you're right. You know, it's, it's the right kind of courage we need um, to, to do, to make those steps in the right direction. So exactly. thank you so much, Arlene. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Keep doing what you do. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So you know where to find Charlene and you know where to find us. If you don't already follow us on social media, our handle is at Level Up Latina on Facebook and Instagram. And on uh, Twitter, it's at Latina underscore up. Uh, shoot us a message if you want to keep the conversation going or if you want to inquire about our coaching make sure you shoot us an email thank you, thank you so much yeah, thank you. don't forget to level up y'all level up level up <laughs>